class. It's a whole experience. Like you're there for the cooking, you're there for the communal meal at the end where everyone's eating together, and then you're there for the music. Traditional music, food made by you, and the history behind it. I mean, what could be better than that? What sets it apart is uh, its openness and welcome, welcoming nature. It's really open to everybody. Uh, the events are in English, uh, and there's there's not a religious uh, aspect to uh, what the organization puts on and, and how it identifies uh, uh, with Polish culture. completely on the run during World War II and used his knowledge of languages to survive. He knew nine languages, Polish, English, French, Latin, German, Russian, Swedish, Finnish, Czech. Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. <laughs> Poland, probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausage. No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland, sausages, <laughs> pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Podcast. Hi. This is Małgorzata Bonikowska, and you're listening to episode 70 of Polcast, recorded and produced in Toronto. This is the first episode in the year 2020. Polcast is hereby entering its fifth year. Yes, it started in 2016, which I find hard to believe. Well, as always, I invite you to a journey. You will meet some interesting people, full of passion, love, and ideas. Knowing multiple languages help you survive. A Polish-American academic, Tadeusz Tad Haska, survived World War II and the Stalinist regime thanks to his unusual linguistic skills and talents. Orphaned at the age of 12, he lived despite all odds and became a distinguished scholar in linguistics in the U.S., this incredible story was lovingly described by his granddaughter, Stephanie Neumann, a professor at the Eberhardt School of Business at the University of the Pacific in California, in her book, How Languages Saved Me, A Polish Story of Survival, released in September 2019 by Kohler Books. It's a great book and a must for anyone interested in World War II and its unexpected turns. In 150 heart-pounding and sometimes darkly humorous pages, readers will step inside Tad recollections of translating German newspapers to farmers, job instructions to French prisoners of war, and impersonating a German on occasion, as well as escaping jail by the Soviet secret police, fleeing to Sweden, and smuggling his wife to safety in a coffin on an all-male naval ship. This is what we read in the materials sent to me by the publisher. I am talking to Stephanie Nauman, whom I reach in California. Stephanie, how important was your grandfather in your life? 
He was a huge part of my life. Yes, uh, he was the first uh, in our family to get a PhD. He inspired my mother to get a PhD, and then I was the third generation to get a PhD. Um, but we were very close uh, growing up, um, constant contact my entire life, um, probably the most influential person in my life. Was your grandmother also Polish? Yes, yes. She was also a huge influence on my life as well. Do you speak any any Polish? Yes, uh, a little. I grew up speaking it fluently. I was probably, I learned it alongside English. Uh, when I went to school, I lost some of it. And uh, when I became a teenager and my grandparents would speak to me in Polish, unfortunately, I would answer them in English. I started losing it that way. And so I'm now trying to relearn it. I have an app on my phone and I'm getting in touch with Polish people to help me practice my Polish as well. So that's a part of my heritage I'm trying to get back. Well, let's talk about your, your grandfather. It's such an incredible story that I don't even know if we can summarize his life in, in, in a short way, but maybe we can. Just tell our listeners what happened, how, because whatever happened to him was interesting before the war, during the war, and after the war. Yes. So he was orphaned in Mikołajki, Poland. Um, let's see, at the age of 12, his father died first. Then his mother died when he was 13. And all that was left was he and his younger brother, who was one year younger. And they had five younger siblings, all died of some childhood diseases. And so they basically lived completely alone in a one-room apartment. Um, nobody found out until one teacher eventually did figure it out at the school and she helped them out, gave them some free tuition. Uh, the church, uh, in exchange for them being altar servers, they were able to get some free food there. Um, they also tutored other kids to make money, especially for my grandfather, he was tutoring in languages. So it's just amazing that at that young of an age, they were able to live completely alone. By the time they graduated high school, they had burned all of the furniture in their apartment just to stay warm. You said your your grandfather was um, tutoring people in languages. So by that time, he had already learned some foreign languages. Yes, French in particular. He was he was very fluent in from school, and he was tutoring kids, especially during the summer, that hadn't applied themselves during school, and the parents had some um, interest in having the kids catch up. And so my grandfather would tutor them in languages over the summer, Latin as well. Mm -hmm. So how did he learn those languages? So he learned. How to And, you know, he must have just been one of those people that can pick them up very easily because as he went through his life, he seemed to learn them much more quickly than the average person. I wish I had inherited that ability from him. Okay, so let's talk about what happened next. Yes, so he was thrilled to get a full scholarship to University of Poznan, and he was going to be a teacher of languages. So he was studying philology, he was going to be a teacher, had a wonderful first year, full scholarship. For once in his life, he didn't have to worry about where the money was going to come from, everything was paid for. He shows up for his second year of college, September 1st, 1939, so we know what happened. Uh, Germany invaded Poland. So his entire life changed at that point. So he was completely on the run during World War II and used his knowledge of languages to survive. He picked up German during that time. He didn't know German as well before the war, but he learned it pretty quickly. And he would translate uh, job instructions to some prisoners of war, in French in particular. He would uh, translate newspapers to Polish farmers. Because you have to remember, everything was uh, no longer in Polish, so people needed to know what was going on. So he would um, tutor or 
teach um, farmers German to help them learn the language. He would use his knowledge of languages to impersonate a Nazi soldier on occasion when he had to, just to stay alive. And that worked. So obviously his accent must have been pretty good. Yeah. But he knew eight languages, right? He knew nine languages. Polish, English, French, Latin, German, Russian, Swedish, Finnish, Czech. Finnish. That is so amazing, because as we all know, it's not an Indo-European language, so it's so hard to learn. Why did he learn it? He picked it up from people that he would meet, and then he would study on his own. So he always just had that interest in languages. But that happened after the war, right? That happened after the war. He met uh, your grandmother, right? Somewhere on the way. Where? In Poland? Yes, in Poland. So he managed to survive the war and he wanted to be a teacher after the war. So he moved to this uh, coast, coastal town called Darwowo, where he met my grandmother and they were married um, pretty soon after the war and had a pretty wonderful life for a short couple of months. My grandmother um, became pregnant with my mother at the time. My grandfather wasn't aware yet, but his friends encouraged him to run for political office. He was very pro-democracy, wanted to see a free and independent Poland, so he ran for political office against the communists. So that didn't go very well for him. They arrested him very soon after he announced that his intention to run, and he was put in jail in um, in Darwowo, Poland, by the Soviet secret police. How did he manage to get out of Poland? The book contains a very elaborate scheme of how he was able to get out of this jail and escape to Sweden. Made it all the way to Sweden and then realized, okay, my wife is still back in Poland. I need to figure out how to get her back. So again, his knowledge of languages helped him. He learned the language of Swedish for the first time and got a job as a Swedish sailor so that he could smuggle my grandmother on an all-male naval ship back to Sweden, out of Poland. And my grandmother would never go back to Poland after this. In a coffin. In a coffin, no less. <laughs> Apart from being an amazingly talented man, he must have had very vivid imagination and an extremely innovative mind, right? Like, think about, like, how would he even come up with an idea of smuggling his wife out of Poland in a coffin. Exactly. Very resourceful. Talked to a lot of these uh, Swedish uh, sailor friends and did some interviewing them to find just the right person who was well willing to, you know, go along with such an illegal activity. I mean, both of them could get in a lot of trouble. So, And then eventually from Sweden, he landed in California. Yes. So um, when they were in Sweden, things were good for a while. But um, my grandmother had terrible nightmares that someone was once again arresting her husband and she would wake up screaming every single morning. And so for her, Sweden was just not far enough away from the people that wanted to get her husband. So they ended up immigrating to New York. Uh, they lived there for a while and, and um, he wasn't able to use his knowledge of languages at the time. You know, the the uh, immigrants' job were got, were pretty um, pretty low on the totem pole. You know, he had the lowest level jobs where he wasn't able to use a lot of his skills. Eventually, he saw an advertisement for teacher of Polish at the Army Language School in Monterey, California. So he was so excited. I'm finally going to be able to achieve my dream of being a teacher of Polish. This is exactly what I want. So he wrote down the information from the job description that he happened to see in his boss's office in New York City, hoping that his boss was going to tell him about this job. His boss never told him about the job. Um, I think his boss didn't want to lose him as a worker. And so my grandfather eventually got the job, went back to his boss in New York and said, OK, I'm going to take this job at the Army Language School. His boss said, you don't want to take this job. 
stop. He said, <laughs> he said, uh, I knew about this job, but I didn't think it was right for you because in California, these are not really Americans. He said, New York is America and America is New York. He said, California, you have wild savages jumping from tree to tree. Those are not real Americans. So you don't want to move there. <laughs> Fortunately, he didn't listen and had a great job uh, teaching at the Army Language School for 35 years. Now, let's talk about the moment when somebody thought that it was a good idea to write about his life. Obviously, his life is almost like a movie, right? Yes. But whose initiative was it? It was the pressure of his wife, my grandmother, and my mother, Christine, and myself. The, the three of us, the three most important women in his life, as he liked to say, pressured him, pressured him over the years. And, and finally, he, he finally agreed. He also, I think, had some pressure from friends. Uh, my entire life, I grew up hearing him tell stories at Um, you know, family gatherings or social events with his colleagues. And I could always see a small crowd gathering and they would say, tell us more. How did you escape from World War II Poland? What happened? And so I knew from an early age that this is an important story that needs to get out there. And what happened? You were, um, you actually started yourself, right? So he started writing the book um, in the 1990s, in the early 1990s. Um, he would, we were living in different parts of the country, but he would mail me handwritten pages of his memoirs, as well as uh, manually typed pages. He had an old manual typewriter that wasn't even electric. <laughs> so I had to transcribe all of this onto the computer. It was a wonderful time. I would talk to him on the phone and ask questions about what he was writing. And so he made quite a, little, a lot of progress, but he passed away in 2012 and hadn't quite finished it at that point. So that's when I was a few years later going through the garage and I found all kinds of boxes of these interviews of him talking about his life on audio and video. Oh, he never told you about that. I knew about them. Uh, you know, they had been out of my mind. Uh, my mother passed away two years ago, and we were more focused um, at the time uh, when she had been diagnosed with cancer on, you know, just the present and not really thinking a lot about the past. But um, I had forgotten about those tapes uh, when I found them in the garage. So that must have been an amazing find. How did you manage to pack this story into I can't remember how many pages, but it was 100 and something as opposed to 500. Right, about 150. Uh, I integrated, you know, the audio recordings, the video recordings, um, personal diaries, letters to my grandma when they were apart. Did some, some editing if it was too much, but I, I put basically everything that I had. Do you have children? I do. I have two. How old are they, if I may ask? One's uh, 16. He's in high school and my daughter is 19. She's in college. How do they react to this? Is this important for them? Yes. So they, they were very close to their great-grandmother, grandfather and great-grandmother. So this is a way of, of you know, being reconnected with, with uh, you know, their, the past. And they're very proud of me. They're not quite as knowledgeable about the details of the story. They hear me talk about it all the time. But I think when they get older, they'll, they'll realize the value even more. I know when I was a young kid, I wasn't as interested in history as I am now. I wish I had been, but... What is the response to this, to the book? The book was published in September. What kind of feedback have you had? Oh, it's been wonderful. I've enjoyed speaking to Polish groups and talking to bookstores, book clubs, things like that. I have lots of engagements scheduled and it's, it's been really gratifying to see the interest in the book. And what I hope people take from it is I hope it inspires people to record their family story, whatever that is. Every, every family has a story. What have you learned, Stephanie? I I think I did not realize the level of 
perseverance and resilience that my grandfather had. Of course, I knew he must have been pretty resilient to make it all the way here with what he had to go through, but I didn't know all the details of every story until I watched those videotapes and listened to those audio recordings. And it's just so amazing for me to know where I come from, that uh, that I'm actually a part of that story. So just connecting to that resilience and and perseverance is amazing to me. But it's also an incredibly interesting immigrant story. The Polish element is very important and all that, but it's also quite a story, um, you know, in America, in the United States or in Canada, where everybody comes from somewhere. So do you find interest in people who are not Polish? Yes, I've been connecting with people when I speak at bookstores, and a lot of them are, are telling me, well, my grandparents weren't Polish, they were Irish or they were Italian, and they have very similar stories of what they went through in terms of what the workplace was like for immigrants when they arrived here. Do you ever go back to Poland? I went in 1992 with my grandfather as my tour guide and my mother as well, and that was one of my favorite experiences of my life. Did you go to Mikołajki? It's such a beautiful place. Yes, yes. Seeing it through his eyes and watching his face just light up uh, was wonderful. And that was the first time he went back? That was the first time he went back. He went back so many times after that. But uh, of course, he was waiting until 1989 when we had the free, free and independent country. My grandmother never went back because she was too terrified that um, somehow they would be arrested again. <laughs> And you also made contact with the Swedish family, which uh, had helped your grandparents in Sweden. Yes, I, I just can't believe it. Yes, so the family that helped my grandparents grandparents when they were refugees in Sweden, those children of that family are still alive today. They're all in their 80s. And one of them in particular, Brigitta, I've been in touch with, and she provided me with a whole nother set of audio recordings of when she visited my grandparents and she interviewed them about their life and how they escaped. And so this helped me write the book as well. And I'm in touch with her. She's actually living in the States now in Ohio, um, but some of her siblings still live in Sweden. What's the plan, Stephanie, with the book? What are you planning? I mean, is there going to be a movie? <laughs> that would be my dream. That would be my absolute dream. My publisher says, uh, wait and see how the book does, and then we'll talk about that. <laughs> but that would definitely be my dream. A lot of people that read the book tell me this sounds almost more like a movie than a book. But of course, it, it should be translated into Polish. Yes, that's in the in the works. My publisher is negotiating with a publisher in Poland. So um, that's another next step in 2020. And I'm currently having it converted into audio form for those that prefer to hear the story in, in audio form. I found this amazing Grammy award winning Polish American uh, to record it. Stefan Rudinski. So I'm excited. And it is really true that there's so much more literature about the Jewish experience of the war, whereas um, your family have no Jewish roots, right? Right. Yes. And that, that's one of the most common questions I get when people that are not Polish find out about the book and they say, um, oh, I didn't know you were Jewish, Stephanie. And I say, well, I'm not. I'm Catholic. And <laughs> most Polish people are Catholic. Uh, but they didn't realize that Catholic Poles also were oppressed during the war, um, not to the extent that the Jews were, of course, but they experienced oppression, yeah. To learn more about this great book, about Tad and his life, as well as how to get a copy, please visit our website, mypolcast.com.
Isn't it fantastic that children of emigrants, Poles who settled in other countries, for example, in Canada, even though they were born, often born and educated here, are interested in their roots, cultural heritage, and want to incorporate their Polishness into their identity. There are a few Polish-Canadian youth organizations, including the one and only Kuobatis movement, which we featured on podcast a number of times. A Polish-Canadian young professionals organization, whose launch we celebrated on podcast last year, called Connect, is a little bit different from other such groups. It's been growing and expanding. Well, let's see what Connect is up to. I'm talking to Amadeus Domaratsky. Amadeus, it's been a while since uh, Connect was formed. When was it launched? Uh, Connect was launched in uh, 2018. Right, so it's been a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've been uh, with Connect since the very beginning? No, I actually uh, joined when I moved to Toronto uh, early last year, 2019. And where did you move from? I moved from Ottawa. But you've been watching it grow and you've been watching it develop. And, um, well, how different is it now from what it was when you came? Uh, it has evolved. Um, it was originally a bit of a professional focus. And uh, as the year went on, it kind of adapted to the preferences of the membership. So Connect sends out uh, membership surveys to see what people want. And over the course of uh, the, well, the last year, interests were revealed that uh, people weren't looking for professional-oriented events, but they were actually looking for events that help them connect with their Polish uh, heritage. And um, also they're looking for just general socializing, meeting people. Everything that you have now been offering in terms of the programming is more or less in that vein, right? Yes, it's definitely evolving into uh, you know a, a focus on the educational with a lot of lectures uh, revolving around different aspects of Polish culture and history, uh, and then also just uh, opportunities to meet meet people and meet people that are you know of Polish background or you know interested in Poland and um, are in the same age demographic and uh, also um, professionally oriented. How do you think this organization is different from other Polish uh, young professionals organizations? Because it's not the only one, right? True. Um, I think what sets it apart is uh, its openness and welcome, welcoming nature. It's really open to everybody. Uh, the events are in English, uh, and there's there's not a religious uh, aspect to uh, what the organization puts on and, and how it identifies uh, uh, with Polish culture, which really those, those things for me meant a lot uh, because I'm a first-generation Canadian. I, I don't really speak Polish, so that that is kind of a hurdle for me when it comes to trying to engage with the community. You we were born in Canada, right? I was born in Canada, yes. And both your, if I may ask, both your parents are Polish? Both my parents are from Poland, yep. And it just somehow never worked for you to learn the language. I, you know, started speaking it growing up and then as you develop your own life and you integrate uh with your friends in school, for me at least, everybody spoke English, so English just became my natural language of operation and unfortunately over time I became less able to speak Polish. There's lots of people, young people who believe that without the Polish language, without the command of the Polish language, 
you cannot really feel Polish. And you are an example that sort of shows that that's not really the case. Because obviously, um, since you're in Connect, that means you're interested in those Polish roots. Can you elaborate on that a bit? It's true. And it's not that I don't want to learn Polish. I, I do look for opportunities where I can, I'm exposed to language, but I don't want to miss out on uh, my background just because I can't speak it. I, I want to still learn and understand because even though I was born here, Poland and its history is what led to my parents and informed my family's uh, everything around what they think and the traditions. So I just want to better understand that. Can you can you give us an example, or maybe a few actually examples of some of the events that Connect organized? Because I think we uh, interviewed um, Louisa quite a while ago, so a lot has happened since then. Mm, so uh, there were lectures, and some of them are more socially oriented. So there's a wine tasting, for example, and uh, this was educational, but also uh, more about the social aspect. And then on the other end of the um, spectrum for uh, educational, there was the Connect Camp. Um, Connect Camp was uh, a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a weekend up north where it's a it's kind of inspired by the Poland in the Rockies program and uh, it mixes the social with the uh, understanding of identity Polish identity and Polish heritage and uh, it was military themed this year so there was uh, numerous lectures and uh, also some activities. So we did like a, you know, more intense capture the flag where we had face paint and went into the forest and kind of did some uh, communications exercises and teamwork uh, exercises. So uh, that was kind of a very, very fun bonding experience. So everybody was kind of like me in their 30s um, and a mixture of people from Toronto and Ottawa. So again, that kind of really resonated with me being from Ottawa and recently moving to Toronto. Um, that was uh, a huge success and uh, will continue next year too. There's quite a bit of social events. So there was a pre-Christmas gathering at the Spoke Club, and that was a nice opportunity to see everybody from the Connect uh, membership just before the holidays. And what is the plan for 2020? Yeah, so this year we'll start with um, a members-only launch event, uh, and that's a whiskey tasting uh, sponsored by Gibson's Finest. That's going to be held at the Polish Consulate. Membership has has risen dramatically this year, so that that event is members-only, and um, that is potentially uh, going to continue for some other events that there'll be There'll be events open to everybody, but there'll be also a few members-only events. Following the whiskey tasting, there's a uh, social for kind of Mardi Gras at Thursday in February. And then in March, there's a, an, an educational lecture-based event, and that's actually focused on erotic Polish literature. Professor who's at the University of Toronto who's going to be lecturing, yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a mixture of kind of, again, the educational learning about aspects of, you know, Polish uh, culture that, you know, definitely are not extremely well known or well discussed. It's an interesting opportunity to connect with the culture in, in different ways. From your own personal point of view, what is it that you have gained through belonging to Connect? Well, for me, the people, the personal network in the Polish community is something that I didn't have before. So when I was in Ottawa, I was 
part of uh, a group there, YPCPA, the uh, Young uh, Polish Canadian Professional Association. I, I really enjoyed that. That was a great group that, again, like helped me connect with the Polish community, uh, but also gave me a social network uh, when I was new to Ottawa. And so moving to Toronto, I wanted to kind of keep that part of my, my social life, I guess, where I get to meet new people, but also learn more about myself, I guess. Uh, and it was through the YPCPA uh, organization that I, I learned about Connect, and they, they've hosted some uh, events together, like the Connect Camp. For me, it was really the first and foremost, it's the people and the network. But I've learned a lot. I appreciate that these events uh, are not just let's get together and drink. I, I like that there's always something to learn, a new perspective or a new piece of information that I get to walk away from at each event. This is mostly young people, right? In their 30s? Yeah, the the ages are like kind of 30s and early early 40s. Uh, and that that's also evolved. I think initially it was expected to be mostly 20s. But um, yeah, it's the sweet spot, I think, is, is the 35. Do you guys talk about how it feels to be a Canadian of Polish origin who maybe was born here? Or, you know, how, do you talk about identity issues at all? Yes, uh, it, it especially came out in Connect Camp because that was a longer opportunity for people to come together and uh, get comfortable with really voicing their opinions and having open discussion. And uh, it, it came up a few times. Uh, the language issue, whether or not the events should be in Polish or whether or not lectures should be in Polish did, did come up as a discussion point. But uh, I think people understand the necessity to make it accessible so that you don't lose people from the Polish community as they become second or third generation Canadian or they are half Polish. Because if you put up more barriers, you're, you're going to lose people from, from that community. Uh, so these sorts of discussions do, do happen quite frequently, these events. Do you also have members who are non-Polish? Yes, yes. People, uh, there are people who either have spent time in Poland and appreciate uh, what Polishness is and want to engage with it more. You have spouses of, of Polish people who are coming with uh, with their spouses. Uh, and then you, you have people who are kind of half Polish or have more distant Polish heritage that want to learn a little more. And what's the plan for the future? Like, do you have a board of directors? How does this work? There is a board and uh, it's kind of constantly evolving. I, understanding the member base is important. So the surveys will continue and there'll be a desire to you know, be uh, agile and adapt to the changing demographics. Uh, and hopefully it's just to continue expanding the membership base, the, the community, the, the group of people that want to pay a membership fee, but also show that they're, they're committed, that they want to support and invest in the community, but also um, regularly attend these events to maintain momentum. This year was quite an impressive uptake in membership. It's uh, about 100 people are registered as members for 2020, which had to be capped because the whiskey tasting event has a limit on the of people. Uh, so hopefully it can grow. We'll go to larger venues, more frequent events and uh, keep this up, but also not being you know, rigid about what the organization is, just having it adapt when you know maybe next year there'll be even more 
people that are of Polish heritage, but not necessarily you know, from Poland. So that will require a bit of a tweak and we'll just see how it goes. Do you see people who have never been involved in any way in uh, any Polish community organizations coming to you? Uh, yes, certainly. Uh, because, and I'm a case study in this. Uh, I, I lived in Toronto before, but I never engaged in the Polish community because I didn't find it in downtown Toronto. And then when I did find things, uh, the the language was a hurdle. And I just felt like, you know, I, I want to learn more. I'd like to engage, but I just feel like maybe I don't reach the bar of Polishness that's required to enter this world. Uh, so seeing connect for me and for a few others uh it it's a nice invitation to know that like as you don't have to be born in poland or speak polish you can come and you can you know start learning and start engaging and connecting what do you do professionally i am in investments i'm in the financial sector i work for the canada infrastructure bank so i invest in infrastructure on behalf of the federal government and do you find people from your profession in connect as well i have actually there was one social event uh it was actually at Drum Taberna, which is the same location that the uh, February social is this year. And I walked up to a table of, uh, of people. I didn't know any of them and I introduced myself. And then coincidentally, every single person in that table happened to be in the infrastructure sector in finance. And uh, I've now knowing them, run into them regularly in the path in Toronto and actually have worked with one of them on, on a transaction. <laughs> so that's really cool. Yes. <laughs> so what's the next one coming up for uh, everybody? It's uh, February 20th. There is a social at Drum Taberna, and that's for Fat Thursday. So people can find information on your website, obviously. Yes, of course. All right. All the best, and thanks so much. Thank you. To learn more about Connect, you can read the story Connect, a new brand of Polishness from episode 53. Or, and listen to my interview with Connect Chair Luisa Schatzen in episode 53. This is all last year. As well as read the story which accompanies the interview that you have just heard on Upolcast on our website, mypolcast.com. And thank you, Connect, again, for the wonderful award at your pre-Christmas event. Here is a live recording of that nice moment that I and Tomek experienced together. Okay, so something that we like to do at Connect that I think is really special is we like to honor people in the community who have been doing tremendous work. Um, so this evening we're actually going to be a little bit different and honor two people in the community um, who have really done quite a bit of work in terms of being um, our supporters. And it's actually honoring some of our media partners. Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kiat. Wow. Um, they both headed up um, Gazeta Gazeta and uh, Polcast, the wonder, wonderful um, podcast that's delivered actually in the English language, which is a little bit unique, and it features really interesting stories. Um, and these two individuals have been really wonderful in terms of supporting all the events that are happening for Connect, and even before Connect started, just being huge advocates of um, the, the new generation um, of Polish Canadians 
and we just were so grateful for all the work that you put in and just as being huge advocates of ours and we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Okay, so let me say something on behalf of us. Uh, it's a great, great honor and thank you. That's wonderful. I'm sure Tomek thinks the same. Uh, Gazeta has been in existence for 31 years. We've recently decided after 16 years also of being um, online that we don't want to do print anymore. So we're really happy. But the most important thing is podcast because um, since I actually am both a journalist and I graduated from the Department of English, so I'm a linguist and, uh, you know, studies, English studies, I decided you have to do stuff in English, right? You cannot constantly write about Poland in Polish. Because Poles, of course, are obviously in love with Poland. But we want to make sure that other people also appreciate Poland. So Tomek and I came up with this idea. He came up with the idea. And then we started doing it. And now we're reaching over 100 countries. And we have people who listen to us who have no Polish connection whatsoever. And we will always, always support you because you're incredible and you have so many great ideas. So thank you. Thank you very much for continuing forward. I think I really think it was a great idea. It's something nobody done before. Yep. Uh, podcast is the format for this century. So if you didn't listen yet, please listen, listen to podcast because Malgrata is doing wonderful work. Thank job you. continuing. Thank you very much. saying goodbye to Laura and Peter Zhiransky, our good friends and cooking experts, authors of two great heritage cookbooks on Polish cooking, full of great recipes which were inherited by Peter from his mother and his grandmother. Thank you for being with us in 50 podcast episodes and sharing your wonderful recipes and observations about Polish food, cooking, and traditions. We wish Peter good health, which he can definitely use. Well, because our listeners love to listen about Polish food, I have quite a treat for you. I've made contact with a very special Polish food lover and expert. Maria Ruzinski created an innovative project in Toronto called Just Be Cooking, where people make food, not only Polish food, under expert supervision, listen to live music, taste and eat the food that they made, and hear about its history and cultural significance. Maria will be collaborating with Polcast and will have her own segment in each episode. So, let's just find out what Just Be Cooking is all about. Maria, you are just all about cooking and cooking in a very special way. I want to know what it is about cooking that grabs you so much. It's it's all been since I was a little girl. I grew up in a Polish household, observing my mother, grandmother, great grandmother, whisk up consistently delicious Polish cuisine, picking up generations of knowledge and recipes. But it wasn't just about the food; it was the atmosphere, it was the, the music, it was the vodka, and uh, it's really what brought me to start uh, just be cooking. So yeah, I uh, I was born in Warsaw, 1980. My family just one day, um, about five years, so 19, about 1984-85, decided that they didn't want to be in Poland anymore, that uh, it was just too much with everything that's going on. So uh, we didn't tell anyone of our plans, and we just uh, left the house one morning. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and we split up. I went with my father and my brother with my mother uh, as traveling families were due to suspicion. And our destination was a refugee camp in southern Italy. Yeah, and I remember during those bleak times, Polish cuisine was still kept alive in our homes, or in this case, hotel rooms, <laughs> as a token of our of our resilience. So that after that one year, you landed in Canada. Correct, yes. And you were six, and um, there was still Polish cooking at home. Yes, there was, all the time. Uh, the rumor is true. There's a lot of pierogies, all the time pierogies. You kind of get sick of pierogies. <laughs> a lot of that, a lot of uh, watching my mom making cheesecake, making potato pancakes with goulash, uh, beetroot soup with ushka, um, schledge, um, yeah, kutia was a favorite. We did the whole Christmas with the 12 dishes. and uh, So that means your family come from the eastern part of Poland, right? Kutia is... Oh, yes. Yes, yes. My mom's Ukrainian, actually. And my father's Polish. Yeah, but I mean, all my life it was like, you're Polish, you're Polish. <laughs> but uh, but I went to a Ukrainian elementary school for seven years. So um, Okay, how good is your Polish? Do you speak Polish? You must speak Polish. No, oczywiście. Bardzo dobrze. Moje koncówki troszkę ja mylę, ale czasami ja dobrze mówię i ja wszystko rozumiem. Okay, so let's fast forward a few years from the age of six. You are what? Going to school and you decide what to do in the future. When did this idea to create Just Be Cooking occur to you? So um, I was always cooking as a, as a hobby about 10 years ago it started. Um, and I was doing um, little gigs here and there parallel to my full-time job in education. Um, I've been teaching for the last 20 years. I have a master's degree in education and training. So teaching comes naturally to me. The cooking component came about 10 years ago and uh, the singing has always been there. So uh, about three years ago, just because it was only three years old, um, about three years ago, uh, I was in my job and uh, and I just decided, uh, yeah, I, I want to do something more. I want to do something meaningful and bigger. And um, yeah, I had a, like a little depressing moment in my life. Uh, didn't know quite what, what I wanted to do. And it was literally staring me in the face, <laughs> teaching, cooking and singing. <laughs> So I thought, well, why not just combine those three things and start a business? And that's what I did. So I quit my job. Like I started JBC. That was about two and a half years ago. That's quite a courageous decision to quit a permanent job in teaching, which in Canada is a pretty good job, right? Oh, yeah. I had nice uh, benefits. and Singing, cooking and teaching all in one. Can you tell us how you combine those three in this very unusual place? Because just be cooking is a very innovative place. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we run our hands-on cultural cooking workshops with traditional music performed live by local talents during the communal meal that follows. So we have chefs that come on as well and, and teach a dish from their upbringing. And then we have a communal meal at the end where the chef provides extra food. And then what's also served is what the guests have made that evening. And then we have a live performance by uh, local uh, bands and uh, or dancers. It, it brings the whole uh, evening together. Um, it really makes you appreciate a culture and really experience it with all your senses, uh, I find. And especially now during a time when we need the reminder of how connected we should be. And what, what really links us together is food and music. Tell me, Maria, how many different ethnic groups have you featured in your Just Be Cooking events? Oh, we've done several. We've done Turkish, we've done Portuguese, we've done Korean, French is a favorite, Mexican. I do my I do Polish uh, pierogies and uh, borscht. 
Ushka workshops here in Toronto. So yeah, we do a lot. And then the bands that come on, we had uh, one event, we had the very talented and, and famous um, uh, chef Sang Kim from uh, Sushi Making for the Soul come on and do a, a hands-on kimchi workshop uh, with um, providing a recipe recipe from his grandmother's um, uh, books. And, and then we had a, a live karaoke band come on and, and perform as you were singing. So you had a band, be, like literally a band behind you as you were up there karaoke. And I thought, you know, what, what a better combination than Korean food and uh, karaoke. <laughs> How often are these events happening? What's happening in between? It's about uh, every week or every couple of weeks. Um, right now we're just uh, picking up pace again because uh, we just came back from holidays. So, you know, I have two kids. Uh, one is just uh, just a year. So um so it's been busy on my end as well. And uh, I do have a great uh, team one, uh, that I can rely on when I need them, but uh, they all have their full-time jobs and I'm basically running the show. So in between a lot of content, 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 I'm always thinking about content, putting up things about what we're doing, what what has been, what's expected. Now, when you say content, 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 when is this content, <laughs> when is this content to be seen? Oh, I'm just saying like on Instagram, on Facebook, on, um, yeah, just constantly posting things on the stories and things like that. Who are the people that come to your place? Oh, we have all sorts. Uh, there are people who want to get uh, re-in-touch with their heritage. There are people who want to learn more about their spouse's heritage. If, if I think now about it, it that you are asking me that question, it's it's more like just people who are just very curious and want to learn something about a different culture, uh, because it's not just a cooking class; it's a whole experience. Like you're there for the cooking, you're there for the communal meal at the end where everyone's eating together, and then you're there for the music, traditional music, food made by you, and the history behind it. I mean, that, what could be better than that? And then, how long is an event usually, typically? Three hours. Do people come back to you? Oh, yes. We've had many people come back that um, have brought uh, friends of theirs. And then it's funny because another event we, we have, uh, that friend who, ha- who came with that friend before brings another friend. Like, so it's this whole like domino effect. So, um, yeah, we've been getting a lot of good, uh, good attention. Has it been what you expected when you look back at those two and a half years? Has it been what you wanted? Uh, actually it's, it's really surpassed. Um, initially it was going to be just, you know, the Polish side and, uh, and focusing on, on bringing my own heritage to life. But then I started talking with uh, different cultures and different people. Uh, as you do naturally, when you have your own business, you just start talking to people. And, uh, it just came from that, that, that idea of, well, why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? And, and it just, flourished from there and I can't I'm just so excited to see where it goes from here I mean I live my life kind of uh, letting the universe give me signs and 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 I follow those signs I'm kind of one of those people uh, and it hasn't failed me yet so I'm just kind of going along um, yeah you just kind of meet a random person they'll say hey I have this great idea for just be cooking let's meet and talk or or hey I don't even know you can we talk and instead of going, no, no, I don't know you. Let's not talk. Uh, I have to focus on just be cooking. This is focusing on just be cooking. By talking to this person, you actually are focusing on your business because that conversation, which I've, I, the chefs that work for me have flourished from these types of conversations where they just out of the blue 
contact me because they heard me on Facebook. And then we just go out for coffee and we just get to know each other. And then they end up doing a hands-on Portuguese custard tart workshop, uh, which has sold out several times. So that was Carla Ramos. Yeah. So, um, so it's really exciting. How big, how big are the groups? How many people do you allow in an, in in an event? So we have two types of classes. We have um, the workshop, which is about 12 people uh, for the hands-on workshop. And then we open it up for the communal meal for more people to come. But that would just be um, a communal meal ticket. And we also host master classes, which uh, are classes a little bit more expensive than our workshops. But that provides you with a um, a chef that has been in, in the industry for decades and uh, and the craft that they, uh, that they know very well. Do you also organize things like, you know, there's a group of friends that can come and, and, and say, we would like to just have this, just be cooking for ourselves in a Mexican style? Oh, yeah, for sure. We've done a lot of events like that. Yeah. So just... Uh, Birthdays. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, private dinners. Uh, I just recently hosted a private uh, English style Christmas uh, dinner for a group of 24 people. So, uh, yeah, it was nice. So what's happening in February? There's a lot of exciting things. I have a Ponchki baking class coming up on February 25th, which is actually International Ponchki Day, if nobody knows. Uh, yeah. And then the next day after that, the February 26th, I'm hosting a um, drop-in dinner at uh, the lovely Defenaire at uh, College and Defen. Uh, so that's going to happen. And then in March, I'm going to be doing another pierogi workshop. Uh, we also do a lunch and learn where um, if people can't make it for the evening, they can do a lunchtime workshop with me. So I also have that coming up. So, uh, yeah, that, that hasn't been posted yet. So that's just a little sneak peek for all your, your uh, podcast. Uh. What have you learned, Maria? Oh, so much. Um, I've learned a lot about myself throughout the process. Uh, but I think the most important part was uh, figuring out how I wanted to be as a businesswoman, how how to work with others in the most effective way, um, how to go from an idea to an actual event, and, and really answering the age-old question of how to turn a passion into something that we don't only share with others, but make others want to share with their community. I think if you have passion, eventually you will be successful. If you follow your bliss, doors will open. It's like that uh, Howard Thurman quote. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and then go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Well, I certainly believe that things happen for a reason. And I think for a reason, our, our paths crossed. Uh, precisely at the right time, we said we said goodbye to Peter and Laura. Hi, guys. So we will be working together um, on podcast with Just Be Cooking. But I think there's something incredible about how people get together and how people get closer when they eat and when they make food and when they have music and when they can be just jolly, happy, don't discuss politics. There is no hate. There is no bad feelings. It's all just fun, right? It's all just fun. To learn more about Just Be Cooking, please visit our website, mypolcast.com. Well, I hope you found episode 70 interesting. Please listen to the previous 69 episodes if you haven't done so yet. We featured 
fascinating people from all over the world with only one thing in common, a connection to Poland. And don't forget to visit Polcast on Facebook every day. There are plenty of great stories about Poland there as well. And if you would like to help me make Polcast, I mean support it financially, please do so by visiting mypolcast.com support. Any small amount helps, trust me. Well, what music do I leave you with? The year 2019, which we have just re- recently said goodbye to, was celebrated as the year of Stanisław Moniuszko, to coincide and celebrate the 200th anniversary of his birth. Moniuszko was a famous Polish composer, conductor, organist, educator, director of the Opera House in Warsaw, and the founder of the Polish National Opera. I leave you with a spirited Mazur dance from Moniuszko's most famous opera, Halka.